Well, good morning. How are you, gentlemen? Awake? Alive? Obviously, gentlemen and Kurt. So, true confessions. What would your wife say it's like to be married to you? I mean, it's obviously good enough, right? Because you're still there. But, but true confessions. Has it been a cakewalk? The dream come true? Just the waltz into the most beautiful place in the world? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I blame God. I mean, he's the one that kind of mixed apples and oranges, right? Men and women. We're, we're such different different creatures. But bump that up a level. If we ask God today, what is it like to be our God? Is it fun? Is it good? Is it a cakewalk? Now, most of the time we get in this mode of, well, God is all loving and God has to care about us. And God, and yeah, 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 he does, he does. But in terms of emotion and feeling, what is it like to be our parent, so to speak? Today we're going to get into that with Jesus. A couple years ago now, Steve and I did a, a really long study on Ezekiel which is a, it's a, it's a monster of a book. I mean, it's sort of revelation meets prophets. But there's a passage in the middle of it that absolutely breaks your heart. The, the whole premise of the Ezekiel story, I think, is a, a father dealing with a son who is addicted to heroin. And all that the father goes through to get that child off of heroin. And if you've, God forbid, ever been down that road, you know it's just, it's, it's, it's a nightmare. But there, there's a point in which God sort of breaks down, if you can imagine, and he's, he tells Israel, you know, I love you, I care about you, I'll keep the covenant with you always, but this has been hell. This has hurt me. I have done and done and loved and cared, and you consistently hurt me. It's such a fascinating perspective because we act like spoiled kids, don't we? It's all about me. God, you 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 got to do it. You got to do it. You got to take care of me. You got to save me. You got to leave me. You got to. And yeah, yeah, he's our parent. He loves us. He's going to do it. But what is it like to deal with us? So, flip that. Jesus took a vacation for 33 years here on earth. <laughs> what kind of Yelp review did he leave? You know, when, when he went back up to heaven and, and typed it in. Um, so, with that horrible intro, let's pray real quick. Father God, we thank you that we can call you Father, that you have adopted us and loved us, cared for us, Dream bigger dreams for us than we've ever dreamed for ourselves. Picked us up, cleaned us off, given to us when we didn't deserve it. Father God, we know there are times in which we delight you. We surprise you that there is still goodness within us and we can be loving 
Father, we pray for the reality check that too often we're just big animals, talking animals, that fight and push just to receive for ourselves. Help us today to really dig deeper into our relationship with you and do the best that we can to be not who we want to be, but who you made us to be. Help us. In your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's take a look at Mark chapter 6. Jesus is going back to his hometown. Do you, what do you think of your hometown today? Do you love it? Do you ever go back to it? Does Andrews just call you sometimes, Tim? <laughs> well, you're just like Jesus. <laughs> Well, first one, Jesus left the country, or that part of the country, and returned with the disciples to Nazareth. So just to give us a little geography lesson, he's leaving the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's headed about 20 miles west, southwest, into what is the Jezreel Valley. Jezreel Valley is very unusual in Israel. It runs east West, and it's the breadbasket. It's just a big flat valley, old river valley, and it is the grain basket of Israel. Israel doesn't have much prime farmland, um, but this river valley is everything. Most of Israel is Rocky Mountain, and so they struggle. They build terraces and stuff, but there's there's not much they can do. So Jesus grows up on the northeast side of this agricultural valley. Now, most towns in Israel have just incredible histories, right? David did this here, or Moses did this here. Not Nazareth. Nazareth has no history. Nazareth, as I always lovingly say, is a trailer park. Nazareth was built uh, as a workman's village, for stonemasons, we translate the word tecton in Greek into carpenter, and we're off to the races, uh, because carpenter in our mind, in the King James, is always wood, is always, uh, you know, uh, woodworkers. There's no forests in Israel. They don't build things out of wood. If you look at their houses, it's all stone. There was a generation of stonemasons, limestone masons, that built a temple. Joseph was one of these. And so when the temple is done, they have to go find new jobs. One of the places they go is a regional capital called Sephoris. Now, Nazareth at its peak maybe was 200 people. Nothing, nothing big. Sephoris is maybe 10,000 people. There's all sorts of government works, uh, limestone work. So Jews won't live in cities with Gentiles. And Gentiles won't live in cities with Jews. So they have this little workman's village. It's right on the edge of the agricultural field. It's actually in the foothills, so it's not taking up farmland. Um, the archaeology has been great in Nazareth. 
one of the strange things that came out of, and I need to preach on this someday, there's a little agriculture going on in Nazareth. Not much. It's, we can tell it's not an agricultural village. Um, there's, there's limestone work there that shouldn't be there. And so we can tell that these were masons. But the one unusual thing is they have particularly large uh, wine vats. So they're, they're sort of doing farming on the side and they have, you know, the typical three fruits of Israel, grain, uh, grapes, and olives. And everything's pretty standard except for the vats dug into the side of the hills for wine. So either they're selling the wine, which is probably likely, or they're all alcoholics in Nazareth. <laughs> they just needed a little bit more. So, Nazareth is a trailer park. There was nothing before it. Uh, there was nothing really after it. It's abandoned uh, about 66 A.D. when the war happens. Later, because of Jesus, it will become another town. It's a huge town today, but it's not in the same place as, as it was. So what was Jesus' childhood like in Nazareth? Do we know? Hmm? Why do you say that? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Let me study the scripture. Yes, and and what we'll we'll get into that. I think uh, Jesus is in school most of his life, uh, at least their equivalent of school. Um, but but we'll get to that. Were Joseph and Mary popular? Did they have good good friends? Like Jesus' best friend growing up was Billy Preby. <laughs> Billy wouldn't hang out with Jesus. Um, no, by all accounts, uh, Jesus' experience in Nazareth was terrible. Yeah. How would someone of Jesus's uh, class, let's put that way, a son of a carpenter, how would he get into the rabbinic studies to begin with? The the thing about the rabbinic studies, it's not like the priesthoods or anything like that. It's entirely egalitarian. So if you have the skill, if you have the ability, they will put you through it. It's that testing system. So at six, they they start going to VBS, basically, school. And the rabbis will begin to teach them scripture. And if they can memorize it, they stay in school. If not, they go and do the job of their father. So as long as you keep passing the test, they'll keep you in there. Uh, Jesus is in this process at 12. Remember, he goes to Jerusalem, and he's not even being tested by locals. He's being tested by the Jerusalem elite. And even they're like, oh, my gosh, what what is up with this kid? But I'm, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, Jesus is always mocked. Because of his birth. He is called unimaginable things. Horrible things. You guys know I'm, I'm big on reading other sources, Jewish sources. But the one time I get really sick and tired of it is when they talk about Jesus. And they do. Uh, they have all sorts of slurs for him. Uh, one of their favorite is uh, Yeshua, son of the panther. And panther is a slang word for a Roman. 
And so they love to insinuate that Mary slept with a Roman soldier. And that's Jesus. Uh, sometimes they say he is a magician, which is a horrible insult. Now, that's how he knows what he knows. But but terrible, terrible stuff. Um, you know, the miracle of the virgin birth, you think, uh, would have impressed people. But it does not seem to have done so in Nazareth. And so we, I want you to get the feel of that as he heads back home. You know, here he is. And, and how is it with his own family? Remember? Right. Uh, his brothers definitely think he's insane. He has this massive feud with his older brother James, who at one point will say, hey, why don't you go to Jerusalem and get killed? Because you're so great. You know, your your delusions. And this is not what we would expect, right? Massive crowds are following Jesus in Capernaum, so much so that he can hardly walk down the street. But you go home to your hometown, and people just remember you as the illegitimate child. Have questions about your mother. In a few minutes, we'll see them call uh, Jesus son of Mary. Now, of course, we, you know, get theological and, oh, that's so good. Mary is the incarnate. Um, it's a way of calling him a bastard. Because you're supposed to be the son of your father. He's the son of Joseph, right? Um, it's, it's bad. But he still goes home. Verse two, um, the next Sabbath, he began preaching in the synagogue. So there is this level of recognition of, you know, he he is a rabbi. Uh, just for my own grins, uh, 64 times in Scripture, Jesus is called a rabbi. Hold on to that. It'll, it'll come back in a minute. So uh, whatever they may have thought of him, it is the local boy uh, has done something with himself. So he's interpreting Scripture. Uh, many who heard him, were astonished. Now this is a hard term to translate it in Greek. Um, it, it really is surprised in a sense of sadness. It, it's not like, oh wow! It's like, oh, my, oh I can't. That, that's terrible. So they ask, where did he get all this wisdom, power to perform such miracles? So they know that he knows something. They don't say it here, but it's said other places that he teaches with authority. Shimcha in Hebrew. This means he is giving an interpretation of Scripture they have never heard before. It's not in one of the two schools of thought that they've heard. He is teaching in a way, as he said, that shows the fulfillment of the law. This is what it was really all about. They're, they're amazed. They know he performs miracles. And then look at verse 3. He's just the carpenter, the son of Mary. So we, we mentioned that. And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simeon. And his sister lived right, and his sisters lived right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. So what just happened? 
This is, this is nuts. First of all, always important to remember, uh, Jesus has a family. You think you're the only one with a crazy family? Even Jesus had a crazy family. Uh, but they know he teaches with authority. They know he performs miracles. So what are they so upset about? Any idea? I mean, we, we've heard enough of Jesus' teachings uh, just in Mark. What What is Jesus saying in his teachings? What is he doing? He kind of normally goes against the grain on your common way of thought. And kind of, I guess it comes off to, in that situation as being a little bit crazy. Yeah, does does Jesus say that he is God? He does it in a number of ways. He 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 comes across. Uh, remember that the whole encounter he had with the Pharisees. Um, the man is sick, and the man comes up and says, "Jesus, you need to heal me." And Jesus says, "Your sins are forgiven." And everybody's shocked. No, no, he just wanted to be healed. And it's always this question, right? Uh, Jesus, don't you know only God can be healed? And Jesus said, yes. Or, or uh, only God can forgive sins. And Jesus said, yes, only God can forgive sins. Figure it out. He has a tendency to do this, that he is the son of man which is the prophetic figure from Daniel that is the fulfillment of the prophecies. Uh, he is he is saying that he is God. Just last week we looked at when he touched the dead person and the dead girl and then he healed the, the bleeding woman. And he's doing things backwards. Usually when uh, people are touched by unclean things, they become unclean. But Jesus is touching these unclean things, and he's changing them. It's like God going to the source of the river and making it pure. All of this is heavily, heavily prophesied in Ezekiel and Isaiah and Jeremiah that the way of the Lord is this river. Remember when we put the big balloon river up in here? I mean, that's that's what we were channeling. That They said there is this river of living water that will come and it will change the world. The, the image is that it flows into the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea comes to life again. Plants grow around it. Fish come alive. This dead place becomes alive. That's what Jesus is modeling for them. He's seeing death and he's bringing life. He's seeing a woman that's perpetually unclean and he's making her clean. So these things, they're shocking. But it's also a little too familiar, isn't it? I mean, look at what they say. He's a carpenter. Now, you can circle this. I, 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 th- I think it's it's good. This has grabbed our Gentile imaginations uh, way more than it should have. This is the one and only time in Scripture Jesus is called a carpenter. And yet, how many times as a kid did you hear Jesus was a carpenter? 
How many times do you see that bumper sticker? My boss is a Jewish carpenter. I routinely run those people off the road now if I see them. Um, because what we miss, I mean, just, just do Bible study with me here one-on-one. 65 times he's called a rabbi. One time he's called a carpenter. And so which do we go with? And what we don't get is that this was an insult. Because what are they saying right after this? Yeah, he's the son of Mary. He's a bastard. He's just a carpenter who's a bastard. But how do I know this? Let me take you back over to Matthew 13. This is Matthew telling the version of the story. And we get a little bit of the detail of what probably went down, at least from Matthew's perspective. Um, So this is Matthew 13. I'll begin with verse 53. When Jesus had finished telling these stories, he left the part of the country and returned to Nazareth, his hometown. He taught in there in the synagogue. Everyone was astonished and said, Where does he get this wisdom and his miracles? He's just a carpenter's, what? Son. And we know Mary, his mother, and his brothers, and we go on to list list that. So even in Matthew, he's not saying Jesus was a carpenter, a tecton. Uh, They're saying he was the son of. I don't like to get on this bandwagon, um, but I think there was a big push to not make Jesus too Jewish. And it sounds weird when we call him a rabbi. I I don't particularly like it myself, but it really gets to the heart of what we're struggling with here. What is it going to be like if we ever meet an alien? I mean, a, a real alien from another planet. I think we're going to be massively disappointed because of all of our imagination, all of our special effects, all of our everything. We're going to say, that's it? That's it? You're just a little blob of booger. I mean, I don't don't even know what you are. You're not even wonderful. Um, I think that's a lot what's going on here. Jesus, and Mark is really saying it, the culmination of Jewish history, the purpose of all of humanity, again, remember the Basora, it's happening. The Messiah has come. He's raising the dead. He's preaching uh, the gospel, the, the good news. The world is gathering in Jerusalem. And you hear the people say, well, I, I thought it would be bigger. I didn't think it would be the 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 black sheep of the town that would be doing it. I mean, I, I expected more lightning and and sparks in the sky and dead Romans. And this is this is some upstart kid uh, who who thought you know he's he's better than us. I mean, can you see how we get there when God performs a miracle in your life? You think, eh, it's not that big a deal. I expected more. I expected the parting of the Red Sea. 
I mean, we get sometimes so intimate and familiar with God that it just breeds contempt, right? Please understand, God works in the real world. That's the point of Scripture. It's not in a galaxy far, far away where our imaginations take over. But at, you know, 937 at your job, it's probably where the miracle's going to happen. It's not Sunday morning when I'm preaching with a choir behind me and special effects. I mean, that's just the sideshow. God works with who we really are, where we really are. And this is sometimes so hard to accept. We want God to impress us, to, to show us off. And I really think we want God to do it for us. These people are blessed in all the planet. Jesus is from their hometown. And they can't see past the the scandal of his upbringing. They know he's wise. They know he's doing miracles. I don't know about you, but I've never actually met a miracle worker. I mean, like a real, I mean, I've seen the cracks on television, you know, you're healed, but um, I'd have a little reference for, you know, guy that just raised a dead girl. But they, they just, they can't do it. So are we okay? We tracking? Yeah. yeah I, I've often wondered, along the same line, what would have happened if Jesus had been born in Nazareth rather than in Bethlehem? Would the miracle effect of the star and the shepherds and the wise men have had an impact on that small community that it didn't have on them because it was he was off south of Jerusalem? Yeah. I, that virgin birth... Uh, I know God had a purpose for it, but it sure made Jesus' life tough among people that would not believe. Uh, you know, the, the scandal just seems to hang over him wherever he goes. Uh, you know, Jesus curses towns. Um, which gets back to my question earlier. How, how was his experience uh, here? And... Um, you know, what, what, what is a curse? Um, when God says, God damn them, <laughs> I mean, there, there's, there's a bunch of towns when he's leaving, he's, uh, because his whole point is, I have given you more, you have had more, you've seen the miracles, you've heard the teachings, but you don't believe. And I don't know what, he actually says, uh, it would be better in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, if they had had what you've had and you don't believe. So th- there is a massive weight that God puts on our ability to choose. We are quick to criticize God not doing enough for us, but we're very slow sometimes to realize what we've got to do in this. God can be right there in front of you. It may not seem like a, a movie, but it's real life. And it's there to give us a choice 
And it's so easy not to make the choice or make the bad choice and say, you didn't do enough for me, God. And that's kind of what we did in the garden, right? Why did you give me all the trees except for this one? Well, I want this one. What do you mean I can't have it yet? No, I, I want this one. No. We're going to learn a choice here, boys and girls. No. Jesus' response in verse 4, Then Jesus told them, A prophet is honored everywhere except for his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And so this, uh, again, is a very rabbinic way of saying, uh, you guys are idiots. Um, why is it that I can be so close and yet you're so far? I think there are two encounters in Nazareth. There's going to be one more. Now, that's not universally accepted. Sometimes they think uh, this was just one big, big story. But Jesus seems, in my estimation, to preach there one more time, in which point they try to kill him. Uh, that's terrible. That is really, really terrible. Uh, that Jesus can be from this hometown, go through all of that, do what he did, and that's his ultimate final time with Nazareth. That the day I left, you know, you joked, they threw me out, but they really did. And for what? Being God, coming to love, teaching in a way that will change the world. Nazareth is remembered today because of the son they threw out. And remember, Nazareth is a workman's village in Galilee. And what do the other Jews think of Galilee? Yep, it's dog manure on your shoes. Um, nothing good can come from Galilee. All the good things come from Judah, Jerusalem, the big city. Forget Galilee. And yet Jesus is raising it to such a high, high level. Verse 5, And because of their unbelief, uh, he couldn't do any mighty miracles among them except to place his hand on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed. So Jesus is now amazed. And this is more shock at their unbelief. Now we have to pick apart verse 5. When I first read that in English, it sounds like Jesus' powers are in some way connected to their belief. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any mighty miracles. Is that, do you think that's right? Is Jesus' power contingent on our belief? I guess you can't give someone a gift, but Right. Was he unwilling? Is it Jesus' unwillingness? I think that's the question they're leading us to, although he is uh, willing with a few sick people, right? But it's not going to change anything. if he. If, so I think you're right, he's unwilling here. It's not going to change anything. If I do these mighty miracles, you're, you're not going to change your opinion because I'm not doing what you want. I mean, they've already seen that he has wisdom, 
and he performs miracles, and they're not willing to believe. We also have family there to be thinking about their protection, their survival. It's true. Although, and and maybe we should look at that uh, next week. Uh, I think John's or John uh, James is perfectly fine. Um, James is known as an antagonist to to Jesus. Um, hates his brother uh, more than just about anybody in the town. Reasons we don't know. We speculate because he's having to take care of Mary instead of Jesus doing it. But that's just speculation. It's true. It's true. Siblings in general, Jewish siblings in particular. So, so to me, this is almost a cautionary tale, a ghost story, in the sense that you can be so close, God can be so willing to do, and we can miss it. So walk with me, and I think it's a good exercise. You know, we put the Jewish people under the microscope. But we don't always do the same with our own people. How have we been since the Depression as a nation? We were, during the Great Depression, we were at a pretty low point. Has God been blessing us since then? Has he been closer? What do you think? Well, we're still the king of the hill, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, he, I think, helped us in World War II. Not to put a too fine a point on it, but we have been the most powerful and the most wealthy people in the history of our planet by far. No one comes close to have what we've had in terms of power and money. Even adjusting, you know, Roman period and all that. Has all of that made us better? I mean, really, where are we today? We send more money in around the world, I mean, than anybody's ever done before. Not that we don't have a chunk, massive amount in our own country, but what what are we doing with it? And so I think this gets back, Chris, to the question, is God willing or unwilling to do miracles for us? Does he heap some more blessings on us? How does that go? You know, your your kids run up the credit card, so I better get them another one. <coughs> the thing about blessings and curses is that we, we take it to be um, like this ultimate punitive action. And it's, it's serious, obviously, when God does it. But this is one of the ways that rabbis uh, teach um, that if... You're, you're getting it, you're moving in a good direction, they bless that. If you say something stupid, you get off, you're, you're lazy, whatever, they curse that. You, God, and God does the same thing. He wants to increase when we make good choices, 
He wants to put a bridle, a brake, when we make bad choices. I think his desire is to bless us. But if the blessings lead us to a place of of sin, of selfishness, of blindness, as a loving God, he can't continue down that road. Um, you know, it makes me think of, uh, I hate to say it, but those you know, people you'll see periodically that are like 400, 500 pounds, you know, that can't walk, can't get out of their rooms. You're like, well, how in the world did you get that that way? Well, my mother or, you know, whoever has been feeding me. Um, God doesn't do that. He's not going to keep feeding us until we're, we can't function. Um, so it's hard. It's hard what's coming from Nazareth. It's hard what's coming for his people. Just like I think if if we as a nation don't really come to terms with a lot of these issues that we're struggling with, it's gonna be it's gonna be bad. So let me stop there. Questions? I've been doing it on a micro level, a macro level. But on your micro level, do you do better when things are good or when things are <clears throat> a little closer to the line? The extremes. Yeah. You know, I've complained about uh, 2022, and I never wanted to uh, go through that again. But... I think in my years of ministry, 2022 will go down as a good year um, because of what what happened here and what we were able to do together. Um, I saw God in a way that I wouldn't have if it had been just easy peasy. One of the things that Nazareth did was absolutely call into question uh, Jesus' role as any kind of teacher, any kind of prophet, rabbi, anybody worth listening to. I mean, it's got to be humiliating when your home church, right, your uh, your home synagogue doesn't even believe in you. How can you possibly teach anybody else? And so I think we see a little bit of Jesus' personality uh, continuing in, in the, the next section. Uh, it's a continuation of verse 6. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching. And he called the twelve disciples together and sent them out two by two with authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them to take nothing with them except for walking stick. And we'll pick that up next week. But he is doubling down on, you know what, boys and girls, if you will not listen, there are many, many others that will. And so a rabbi has reached a certain level when he takes Shimka, or not Shimka, um, uh, Shalak, the scent. So the, the way that it works is you first take Talmudim, which are students that study under you, and that's basically when you graduate, when you can have enough authority to teach other people. So you gather your disciples, and they're going to record what you teach. There's an intermediate stage when you think your disciples are good enough to send them out, which are the shalak, the, the scent. Um, we've had a little bit of this before, but Jesus is formalizing it now. So in a sense, 
we'll say he's opening up an office, right? His, his legal practice is getting off the ground. He's opening up an office. So he not only is uh, going to wander and teach, he's now at a level he says that my disciples are capable of going out and teaching. And not just that, obviously they're casting out demons, they're doing incredible things that if he didn't have this authority, he couldn't pass on to them. So uh, Jesus will tell them in a in a very insulting way, if a town rejects you, um, you wipe the dust off of your sandals and you move on. You wash your hands, as we would say, of them. And so I think the connection is made here. He has said, all right, Nazareth, you've made your choice. Uh, it is what it is, but you're not slowing me down one bit. And I love this about Jesus. I mean, there is real strength and bravery there and maybe a lesson for us as well. Um, Jesus says, the poor will always be with you. Kurt says, the stupid will always be with you. (laughs) And people will do dumb things. It's just in our nature. If you get lost in that, uh, you can get lost. Some days you just have to get up, dust, uh, you know, no mark that that they're saying, let there be no mark of you in my life and just move on and do what God has called you to do, uh, maybe even kick it up a notch. So, interesting times. Yep. Just in, uh, in seven, the word authority gave them authority. Previously we heard that Jesus spoke with authority. Are those two authorities the same or is it? No, it is, yeah. It's his yoke, in essence. Uh, they're, they're taking his... And this is so hard for us, but the, his, it, we, we can call it gospel because that's really what's being developed, right? They're saying, I've never heard this before. It's in between the two camps. It's something different. Well, because it's developing into what we know of the gospel. So he's taking that and um, sharing it. it. It strikes me as funny, not humor is funny, but you need to hear you say 2022 is a hard year. Because for some of us, 2020 year, 2022 was a miracle year. Because of exactly what you just described. Reached a point in my faith walk, in my faith ministry, that that still small voice told me, it's time to shake the dust off your feet and go somewhere. And praise God. We wouldn't be here. Well, and that's what I'm coming to realize. I mean, so many good things have happened. It was a hard year. Um, But where did we get the idea that our life was supposed to be easy? Um, God is preparing us to make choices for eternity. And that's going to take some work. Uh, So... But still, Lord, let us just have a, <laughs> an easy 23. I'm, I'm, I'm not proud. Um, so, I wonder in heaven, when they start to let you in, if they card you, oh, you're from Nazareth. Jesus has a line for you right down there, boys and girls. So, no, I don't know that. Um, but never forget, we give God a hard time, I think. And uh, it's not always been easy for him with us but he loves us and he's not given up and so hopefully that lights a fire under us well let's pray
Father our God, I thank you for the men gathered here today, for the wisdom and faith that we're able to share. Lord God, we do not want unbelief in this room. Sitting here together, we're able, really, Father, to to be mindful that you have done tremendous amounts for us. We are different men from who we were when we were born. We're much different from who we were as teenagers. But Lord God, we pray that that process will continue because we know we're close to you in this room. We're close to you in this life. Help us to keep our eyes open. We know we've got work to do. We know we've got things to accomplish, people to take care of. But none of it will matter if we miss you in our lives. So let us pay attention from now on. In the most ordinary moments, in the place that we think nothing good can come from, may we expect to see you. And may this town, O Lord, always welcome you. Always remember, our King, our Lord, is Christ. Help us. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.